0: Welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. And we're here for another hour of chocolatey goodness. (laughs) I don't know why I said that. I must be craving chocolate or something. Uh, Or you haven't gotten enough nougat. Is that Uh, it? Yeah. (laughs) Steve Lasker is here. He's going to be with us momentarily. But first, before we do any of that stuff, we have something else to do. It's called Better Know Framework. Awesome. all right dude what do you got all right i got something for you richard Oh, because this is very it-ish as you know richard i just installed windows 10 creators update probably a lot of people did we're recording this on the 27th of june yep and uh just went looking for things that are new and on the it side there's some new stuff too richard are you familiar with uefi the unified extensible firmware interface absolutely yeah so for most people who don't know what that is, it's sort of a replacement of BIOS. Yeah, this is the the better version. Yeah, the better version. It's the way that your computer interacts with its hardware. And there's a whole bunch of new features in Windows 10 that take advantage of that. But the problem is, of course, if you've got a hard drive that was formatted with the BIOS, now you've got a problem if it, if you want to run this on a new version. So basically, there's a new tool with the creator's update. It's a command line tool called MBR to GPT, which converts a disk from master boot record to GUID partition table partition style without modifying... Or deleting the data on the disk, and that is necessary in order for Windows 10 to take advantage of some of the the great new features like uh, of security and all of that stuff that you get with UEFI. Now you can take advantage of that in the operating system itself.
1: And you know, just to be clear here, there is UEFI modes that support MBR. It's not required that you have to you want to use a UEFI motherboard. You have to be GPT. But there are some advantages to GPT. It is the newer disk format. So yeah. It, it, if, if you're running hardware that can handle GPT, you probably want to run GPT.
0: Well, you know, that's why I brought it to you because you the explainer of all things IT-ish. And there's just some new great stuff for IT people in Windows 10 Creators Update. So yeah. I'll add a link to that uh, article as well.
1: Yeah, at the simplest level, the issue with MBR is it it runs out of its limit is two terabytes. And so if you've got a four terabyte drive, you have to make it into multiple partitions. And GPT
0: doesn't have that limit. Okay, very cool. So that's what I got. Who's talking to us, Richard?
1: Ah, uh, grabbed a comment off the of show fourteen seventeen, the one we did back in February twenty seventeen. We talked to Ben Hall at NDC London, talking about Windows containers because we've been doing container shows for a while, right? But always on the Linux context. And Ben, being Ben, right on the edge of the, all the container stuff, mm-hmm. uh, was quick to to do some good testing with the Windows containers and talked about some of the details. And uh, and curiously, we did a strip of container shows right in that particular week in February. We also had Michelle on and so forth. And uh, Dan Okenka had this comment. He said, I'm glad I came across your show. I am a research-based... Student graduating in May of 2017, so that should be now, with my BSIT in System Software Engineering. It's quite reassuring to know that after reading about containers with only some understanding, among the many other subjects, that listening to your show has broadened my horizons and cleared the fog, so to speak. I've listened to this show and some other ones, and they were informing and relevant to my current projects, as well as for school, and I'm definitely going to continue to listen and learn. For this, I am gaining experience until I enter the workforce, so thanks. Yeah. Well, thank you, Dan. Glad to have somebody new coming into this business and we're happy to help you out. And uh, let me give you a way to drink some coffee or tea with a big old .net rocks mug or
0: something else for that or matter.
1: Something else. <laughs> put, it, put pencils in it. Caffeinated beverages are not your thing. (laughs) And uh, so a Donnet Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a Donnet Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at donnetrocks.com or via any of our social media. Because we publish every show to Facebook and Google+. And if you comment there and you read it on the show, we'll send you a mug.
0: And definitely follow us on Twitter. He's at Rich Campbell. I'm at Carl Franklin. Send us a tweet. You know, you just can't contain yourself. Oh, jeez. Dumb. Sorry. All right. And that laugh was from our guest, Steve Lasker. He has been a program manager at Microsoft since 2003, working on developer tools, embedded databases, billing systems for Azure Online Services, and most recently focusing on Docker container workflows. Steve works on the Visual Studio Container Tooling, the Azure Container Registry, and end-to-end workflows for deploying containers to Azure. Prior to joining Microsoft, Steve worked in consulting and broadcast engineering where he learned the life of living on the road and building systems that can be easily troubleshot and repaired, as fans don't want to wait for more than a commercial to get back to the Super Bowl. Steve can be found on Twitter at Steve Lasker and his blog at blogs.msdn.microsoft.com slash Steve Lasker. Welcome, Steve. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for being here. I think the last time we saw you was probably a build, wasn't it?
2: I always see you guys at all the shows. You're just uh, always doing some great work i just hear people hear your shows and it's just great to get a chance to talk with you and your followers yeah yeah. quite
1: the crowd i thought i thought you were on a panel i show 353 june of 2008 wow you glenn block there's
2: the data guy (laughs) (laughs) yeah
1: so that's a long time ago man that's that's uh that's said nine years ago so Uh, yeah
0: a few things have changed since then weren't you an rd back then
2: I was. I was an RD before uh, joining Microsoft. Uh, yeah, the RD program has been a great channel for us working with the field. And when I was working in the RD program to talk with people at Microsoft, it's 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 a pretty fun, it's a great group too. As, as you well you know. Yeah, it sure is. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of fun.
1: <laughs> so, what's your role these days? What are you focused
2: on? Well, so for the last couple of years I've been working on our container uh, tooling and we're doing for end-to-end related to Docker containers because a couple of years ago it seemed like an interesting technology and mm. you know, as we see now, it's really kind of redefined not just a small place of how I might package up my app, but how workflows overall are just sure. dramatically changed. So oh, yeah. I mean the idea that I can package the dependencies of my app into this declarative format has just been an exponentially growing opportunity. And so I've been working on what we do with our Visual Studio tools, our Visual Studio code tools, and what do we do around building and putting them in a container registry in Azure, so you have your private registry there, to how do we deploy containers you know, out into various hosts because it's not just around container orchestrators. uh, It is becoming the unit of deployment, kind of an interesting way that I no longer have to worry about, you know, whether it's a version of .NET, a version of Node, Go, Java, or what version might conflict with each other. I just put everything in this, you know, this little text file and say, go build it. Are
1: you seeing how granular folks are building containers? Like, is it a service per container or a, a larger grouping than that? How, you know, what's the right size for a container?
2: Yeah, it's interesting where you're coming from. Containers kind of came from this Linux model of a service or a process, rather. A process equals a container. Right. Uh, right. And that's a great way to start. And there's always extremes, right? Then there's the other extreme of, you know, where we would take a a VM and I might have a hundred websites on it. You know, technically you could do that. You can take a a Windows Server Core uh, image, which has IIS on it and put a bunch of websites on it. But you're kind of missing the point of smaller, you know, individually managed uh, from a who owns what to reliability to scalability. So it's really good to start with have it do one thing and do one thing really well concept. And then, you know, you get into these other things where I might have to have a, a logging service running in the container or some other things you might have two processes that you might want to run but generally speaking we try to do one process one website one api Mm. one logging service right Mm -hmm. in fact you know that each of them would if you have you know a couple hundred containers on a host each of them would write you know to a separate service that would we call sidecar loading where a a logger or some other service sits on each node and can do that additional work Mm. so it's really think small and then be realistic
0: Do you ever find yourself, you know, starting small and then grouping things together just because it makes more sense? Because I I guess, you know, if you're too granular, then uh, management of all of those becomes an issue doesn't it
2: yeah no i mean it, it's it it depends again it kind of goes what you were saying And so we're not taking the data dll's or the business logic dll's necessarily and making those individual components where you have you know you, you've probably seen people that have a, a visual studio solution with a couple of hundred projects in it because they've broken down the dll's to one class file each yeah, yeah. there's always extremes but you're right there is some grouping but I would still group things as one service per container. But you can do things where you take a couple of services and deploy those as a unit. Hmm. In fact, Kubernetes, as one of the, the leading orchestrators, has a concept called pods, where you basically define a collection of containers that always get deployed as a unit. Oh, good. And we've seen a couple of, you know, one, in fact, Yammer, you know, part of Microsoft now, Right. Uh, when we were working with them a year or two ago, they do log analysis of all the activity that comes in for Yammer feeds. And what they do is they they have like five services, five containers they run in every node before they even start putting heavy load on it. One of them is a local DNS uh, resolver, and in fact, the configuration for how it's always getting updates is yet another container that it runs in the background because they wanted to make sure that they had a they were having problems that the resetting or the reading of the config was causing conflicts. So you know, it's mm. you kind of have to find your extremes. And obviously they're extremely high end service on what they're they're doing compared to the average person. Like to me, one of the, the ones that I find the most interesting is probably been through like with SharePoint sites. Hmm. You know, we've got hundreds and thousands of these SharePoint sites and, yeah. and where are they all deployed and running? And the idea that I can just run those as a collection of containers is it, just mm makes it super
1: easy to just sharepoint in a container
2: (laughs) yeah uh, well you can put sharepoint in a container too we actually had a a team that was uh, working on that but in this case it's the sharepoint apps okay you know when you're deploying a sharepoint app that's a website that might have a data or you know some apis and so forth is rather than worry about hosting that in vm which may not have a lot of load uh, at times, because you know, SharePoint apps they you know they come in bursts of usage depending on sure.
0: And there's something you said that I want to go back to: containers that spin up other containers. Now you're talking about side by side spinning up, not containers that contain containers,
2: right? Well, there's all of that. I mean, when you think about it, the concept of containers is the unit deployment. All the things that we do today are still things you would do in containers, right? The batch jobs. One of the... So early on when I was doing some of this container work, um, it was a long time ago. I was was in Southern California in uh, the Valley, rather. And I'm just listening at this meetup, and they're talking about how they're doing batch processing of this logs. A company called Packeter, really cool group of people, and. They basically were just processing logs. They have terabytes of logs that they process, and then when they roll out an update, they were saying how they just put the update out, and the next job that runs will pick it up and and go. And like, well, mm-hmm. what do you mean by that? And here mm-hmm. I am, the Microsoft guy. I kind of hid my my Windows laptop. I had my Mac laptop out, <laughs> and, you know, i was, I'm still trying it's a to black be black turtle a little stealth. On. Yeah, <laughs> and I was afraid to ask these stupid questions. And what they were saying was, for you know, each batch job, they spin up. They they take the request off the queue and then they will spin up a container to do just that unit of work and when it's done they throw out the container ah. so they don't have any worries around you know logs filling up or memory leaking um, or getting in some stale state so it's and the fact that what they're doing is when they spin up the container they do a Docker pull and they're just going to get the latest image so imagine you're processing taxes you know the for state and federal taxes all over the country you know and you have to keep I think it's like three or five years back you have to be able to process a, a right. tax return right. but they change every year so you get this tangled mess of code that you would have to write to you know keep five years of code and somebody's always got the drudge job of pulling out the six year old code right. well imagine you just write your code as here's the tax calculations for a Washington state for 2017 mm. and that's all it knows how to do Mm. and you do the separate one for 2016 2015 or 2018 or new jersey or new york or florida and then when the thing comes off the queue and says well i'm processing for steve he's in washington state let me just go and do that tax calculation for just that state it makes it really easy because now my code is really isolated i can do i can scale it up and just throw it out of lots of nodes
0: the thing that comes to mind is cloud assemblies It's just sort of things that are out there that we just call.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it really is a powerful way for us to develop and scale our apps. Now, is it absolutely as fast as all the code running on one machine and one DLL? And no, but you know, we also know that those kind of things don't scale, so you right. can only go as fast as you can actually make progress. We, we kind of refer to this, I happen to be do sailing as well, which is kind of interesting, sailing around all these containers in the Puget Sound. <laughs> right. And the fastest way to get around the point isn't necessarily to go straight to it, because if there's no wind, it doesn't help you. Right. You, know, you have to go where the wind is and you adjust and that's kind of the way i think about you know the the cloud computing you know it's if you're just doing a one thing and it's only for one person you know that's fine you know but if you're trying to build any kind of system that has any kind of reliability or this capability of scale Mm. those extra hops those extra pieces of latency are, are small prices to pay for you know, not getting called on the weekend, you know, having the thing auto heal, auto scale.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and it's just always, I also appreciate the idea of containers like running on the, that the developer can run the container configured the same way on his machine as it runs in QA, as it runs in production. So there's like a whole class of errors that just go away. And I don't know that there's any other equivalent like that. It's, I've tried to do that with VMs. And they're mm-hmm. just so big, it's kind of a bear.
2: Well, and that's the thing that we've seen, which was, it's been an interesting thing, right? It's, you know, uh, early on, I, you know, you talked about Windows containers there for a bit in the intro. You know, we had a customers, you know, we've been working with Linux containers for a while because we wanted to understand what was already the, the state of the art. So we could take that experience when we started working with .NET and Windows containers that we weren't learning on our own. And... TP5 early on two years ago with Windows containers, it was so rough, right? The the team has been doing an amazing job, but it was early on. And I had a customer that was saying how wonderful uh, TP5 was, Technical Preview 5 was with Windows containers. And Mm -hmm. his reference was VMs. Yeah. They were so much faster even more reliable at the time, so easy to prepare. Uh-huh. So it's it, it that has been one interesting reference point. And of course, they're you know in production and they're in GA now and they're in great shape. We can, we can talk about some of the benefits that are coming with Windows containers as well. But I had this other thing was uh, build was last, I think it was build twenty sixteen. Glenn Condro and I were were going to do a talk and some event prior to that might have been a DockerCon. I was out doing some customer investigations, customer talks about how are you testing. Your container deployments, assuming you're testing with containers. And what I found was people weren't ready to deploy containers into production for a host of reasons, right? They they weren't sure what orchestrator they were going to pick. They, it's a different group that hasn't decided whether they like containers or not, or, you know, whatever the reasons are. They were developing everything else in containers. They were testing their VMs hmm. with containers. Hmm. Because when you run a test, what what do you want to do every yeah, time you run the test?
0: Start from scratch, spin it up, test it, tear it down. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So, I've been really impressed to see, you know, just because somebody's not actually deploying containers yet in production, there's a host of workloads from build to test to batch jobs just as part of the dev cycle to that customers are doing. I, I have this one customer who deploys software on-prem, and they deploy it as VMs. Hmm. And they eventually are going to deploy them as containers also. that They're going to do it this summer. But they have taken their entire build process, their entire dev process, and everything containerized. And then what they do is they at the last minute they spin up the container and they copy the contents out to create the vms (laughs) Uh, just because they want to get everything up until that point didn't
0: the windows server team announce just last week that uh, native support for linux containers in the next version of windows server or something
2: so that's one of the really cool things that windows has, has been doing and you know it's People might have been trying to write off Windows, but I got to tell you, I have been super impressed with the work that they're doing, not only in containers, and the things that they're uh, doing with Nano, uh, Windows Nano, which is, you know, they've got some new work that's actually going to run 71% faster uh, from a Docker pull. I mean, when do you think of an OS getting smaller? smaller? You know, and faster. Um, so we'll, we'll come back to some of the stuff they're doing there. So at DockerCon, uh, a couple months ago, one of the things that they've announced was be able to run Linux containers more natively on Windows. Today, of course, you can run a Linux container using, using a VM. Mm. Uh, and that's what we do with the Docker for Windows. But just as we're seeing developers want polyglot from, uh, this team writes a node. And this team's writes in .NET and that team writes in job and, you know, everybody gets into a war. We're going to convince the other team to use my tech and who cares? Let them use what they want, right? Right hand, left hand. What's also happening is, historically, we've had these shops that are the Windows shops or the Linux shops. Right and up. thou shall not speak to each other. They even use different cafeterias, right? And it's, it's a nice dividing line to say, I don't have to deal with your stack because I have my own OS. And just as we're seeing containers solve the ability to run two different stacks side by side, we're getting to the point where they can run two different OSs side by side. Mm -hmm. Wow. So I don't have to worry about, you know, a particular stack that runs great in Linux. Oh, I need the windows version of it. It's like, no, run it in Linux and run this one in windows. And the orchestrators will run those uh, side by side as one part of one cluster. Well, windows is taking that to the next level and saying, look, we have a lot of customers who love windows for its infrastructure. In fact, This work actually is being done for Azure, right? The substrate of Azure is Windows, and we want to be able to run Linux workloads in Azure because, yes, we're Microsoft, but as a cloud provider, we're going to make money selling Linux just as much as we sell Windows. So why would we turn that work away? For sure. Well, we need a good system to be able to run those Linux workloads. So Windows, as announced, and they're doing this in the open, they did their first big PR uh, on Docker, I think, well, the week of June 27th, or is the last week, rather. And that there will be a very thin uh, Hyper-V shim that will run on Windows that will be able to run Linux containers natively. And with uh, I can't remember what the number, what number, but all of the different Linux distros, you're not going to be tied cool. to a particular Linux distro either. So now, not only can you run Node and Java side by side, not only can you run Windows and Linux side by side in the orchestrator, but on your Windows OS, you'll be able to run Windows and Linux containers. So what we're doing in our tooling is we want to be able to enable that as well. Today, if you're using Docker for Windows on a Windows 10 client, you have to switch between Linux or Windows. Uh, and we actually keep the Windows infrastructure running, but we have to we switch at the networking layer. Uh, and for those that are playing with these, they know we've had some struggles trying to keep all these fast-moving parts stable. And one of them is because we're, to get into Linux, we have to do a number of different hops with network mounts and, and you know, volume shares and so forth. And it's caused us quite a bit of, com- yeah. quite a bit of pain, yeah. uh, especially because we depend on that volume mount for our debugging scenarios, for that quick iterative debugging So are you seeing lots of uptake for Server 2016? I think the containers is the
1: best new feature, but is that enough for people to move up?
2: Well, that is, you know, I can't speak to all of the Windows features in Windows Server 2016, but working with the Windows team, one of the things that they have seen was Containers was one of the biggest motivations to move people forward. Mm -hmm. And it did uh, cause them to think uh, a different way around how they're going to manage Windows Server 2016 as well. So for those who have been following Nano Server, Nano was originally going to be the OS you would install on the hardware.
1: Right. And yeah. then you
2: would run your Hyper-Vs as Nanos, and then you could run your containers as Hyper-Vs. So it was really nice in concept. But what they learned is even though Nano was out, people were still installing Windows Server because right. people liked remote desktopping into those mm-hmm. machines. But yet we were still seeing where Nano's success was, was a container OS, because it was much smaller than you know VMs, certainly. Not as small as Alpine. So we were, that's where they were... Doing great from a Windows perspective, but they weren't feeling as competitive compared to Linux. So by seeing what you know, because we're very focused on data now, when we watch what all our customers are doing and we take right. feedback and we're constantly calling them, and what we saw in the data was Nano wasn't being successful as the server OS, but it was being very successful as the container OS. So uh, and. Windows Server 2016 has had the fastest adoption they've had to date, and the container feature has been one of the major drivings because you can now take these workloads that customers have had, we we refer to as the lift-and-shift workloads, where they take those existing workloads that have been deployed in VMs, they have no idea how those things are running, they go and patch those machines, and then hopefully the apps continue to run because they don't have any really good way to test them, where now what they can do is take these workloads put them in a container, redeploy them, they put them on Windows Server 2016 um, as a Windows Server 2016 container, in this case, and, you know that would be a Windows Server core container. Now they're running those workloads in, uh, in a much easier way to manage. So, you know, One of the things I've
1: noticed with Nano Server and, and uh, doing testing on websites is it's 64-bit all the way down. There is no 32-bit stuff, which is one of the reasons they got it so small. But you quickly find out if you've really built your web app properly in 64-bit. Because, you know, in regular Windows, it's easy for you to be still calling a 32-bit driver or something, and it'll just thunk it. It ain't going to do that in Nano. It's going to fail.
2: And that's that has been one of the challenges, and you know that's why we have Windows Server Core, you know, as a, a base image, which is larger, but it's actually yep. getting smaller. I think they got them down. Server Core is thirty percent faster, uh, three and a half gigs down to two gigs compressed when you do a Docker pull, because they've been offloading workloads that are not relevant. Yeah, but it is meant to be the compatible image. I think it's a good challenge to get to nano. It just speaks to how
1: modern exactly. and lean your app is.
2: So if you're using Core. And now with .NET Core 2.0 coming, we have a much larger surface area. Yeah. You know, the idea is you take your existing app that you're trying to containerize, put, lift it and shift it into a Windows Server container, and then if you're writing new capabilities or you're starting to split off existing capabilities into that into .NET Core with nano. And right. the between Windows and .NET, they are working to make those two just like peanut butter and
1: chocolate together. But there's absolutely no reason you couldn't run a mix of full windows and nano server containers they call each other it's not a big deal
2: exactly mm-hmm. and, and you can do that today right there's nothing you know while some of the orchestrators are coming out with the linux and windows mixed workloads windows containers have always been able to run windows and nano as one unit into sure. the same workload so i'm really impressed with the work the windows team has been doing and the.net team is doing i mean they're working to make.net core the best container runtime we're making changes in .NET Core for startup perf, for compilation, just the way. I mean, if you think about .NET in its past, right, we would put code out on a server regardless of how the server was deployed. And we did all these optimizations that instead of having to copy the entire project, just update this one file. Right. And we mm-hmm. will dynamically recompile the app. And yeah, the first person that hits it, they might take a little perf hit, but wow, isn't that so cool? Like, I don't have to kill the rest of the site. I just, this one page would take a hit, but look at how fast I got my update deployed. In containers, mm-hmm. we don't have any of that. We build an image. And we deploy it, and you never touch the contents of it again. Yeah. So we've had to rethink the way we want the profiling, you know, the profile of how .NET works in a container to be different. And we're doing work around pre-jitting. That's why you see the optimized images that we talk about when we build Docker files. Are we assumed you're taking the published output? We don't just do a .NET run. We actually do you know, the .NET publish, which takes those in just the binaries we need and we put that into an image that only knows how to run .NET. It doesn't have the compiler. It doesn't have SDKs. It is just there to start up quick and start serving content. And yeah. there's some, there, you know, between Nano going down smaller and smaller and faster and faster and being more focused on .NET scenarios to start with, I think we have a lot of cool stuff ahead of us. I mean, we're still early on in the container space of what the possibilities are. Yeah, sure. It's,
1: yeah. It's still early days. And um, I mean, it was literally only the past week relative to when we recorded this that there was the announcement about Nano Server just being the container host now. You're really not supposed to run it as a standalone OS anymore, although you can. They're just, they're going to move her to containers only.
0: Well, why would you, right? Uh,
1: yeah, it doesn't really buy you anything. You know, you've got so much more horsepower in your hardware anyway. Yeah. And it, it, it doesn't really do anything. But to keep your containers as lean as me, especially when you think about it, as many as you're going to be running. You know, it's it's very worthwhile, and it, and I it just like the whole decomposition angle of, you know, you start breaking down into these smaller containers. You don't have as as much resource consumed per instance.
2: Right, and by now not having to be the host, we can start doing some interesting things in the con- you know in that OS image, right? Because if it doesn't need to be the host, then it doesn't need a lot of those services.
1: Yeah, you can make it even leaner.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. I always joke we can get rid of the print and fax server. <laughs> you think? Maybe? <laughs> <laughs> You'd
1: be surprised, man. But, it's you know, you make a point. I, when when Microsoft suddenly took containers seriously, this a few years ago, and I bet we can go back and listen to the show. I said, you know, this is where Microsoft's going to have an advantage because it is their OS and they know how to build it. Mm-hmm. I bet you they build an optimized container version pretty darn quickly not just that it runs containers but it's the best os for containers i think in some ways being open source the way that linux gets built they're just not as quick for these kinds of things hmm. i think what what we're going to see nano server become in the next year or so is going to be this incredibly lean just what you need to run in containers kind of os
2: hmm. maybe i mean even the kernel like if you are just the container you don't need the entire kernel So, uh, which is like mind boggling for the windows team, Like This is, this is some of the challenge. Like we're not ready to let go of that. Ah. (laughs) It's like, it's like standing on the tree as Bugs Bunny and you're cutting the branch. Yeah. It's like, whoa, this doesn't feel right.
1: Uh, (laughs) (laughs) That
2: was an old, that was
1: the old line. I'm doing brain surgery on myself with a mirror. (laughs) (laughs)
0: What could go wrong? Doing Um, brain surgery with allocator clips. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Bzz, bzz. Hey, Richard. Yeah, buddy. Guess what time it is now? Uh, it must be that happy time again. Yeah. It's time to use a 64-bit operating system to run a 32-bit browser to play a 16-bit MP3 file that contains a 2-bit joke. <laughs> 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 I meant that joke. I meant that. It's actually time to give away a experience subscription from DevExpress to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. Built from the ground up to fully support all the cool features that come with React, like the virtual DOM, state controllers like Redux, and so on. It supports master detail, sorting, grouping, paging, and editing. You can check it out and test it for free by getting it from GitHub. Learn more and download your free 30-day trial of DevExpress Universal at devexpress.com/superhero. Well,
1: all right, buddy. Who's
0: our winner? Today's winner is Julian Perot. Awesome. Congratulations, Julian. Congratulations, Julian. Congratulations. yeah! Well, clap for you, sir. And Julian just won the D experience subscription, a big pile of awesome from our friends over there at DevExpress, just for being a member of the .NET Rocks fan club. And if you don't know what that is, go to .NET Rocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world. In every show, we like to give away stuff from our sponsors, and every December, we give away a $5,000 technology shopping spree to one lucky member of the fan club. And we also like to ask our guests, Steve, if you had $5,000 to spend on technology today, what would you buy?
2: Well, it's, it's interesting. Um... I just bought a new house recently and I've got a tenant and it's interesting to think about all the tech that you can use in a practical way. So I probably don't need five grand of Alexa devices, but, you know, monitoring how much power is used by myself and my tenants, Mm. my, you know, that's, it's interesting the things that you can do just by putting sensors in the power panel and putting them on lights and
0: putting cameras in the hallway. Ooh, no, I'm kidding. Uh,
2: yeah. <laughs> there's probably <laughs> there's probably a range of things you could do that I was up, like, yeah, place. I think I want to be able to live in my house, not a cell. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, but it's pretty. It, I don't know. It's, to me, it's the the practical. You know, I've I've got an EV car now, and it's you know, uh, just not having to stop at a gas station since December. It's just you start really thinking about all the the wave of helpful things that are just mm. very practical not just cool okay
0: cool enough
1: yeah lots of good that's a good gadgets in that space
0: i, I was thinking you were going to say azure credits
2: but <laughs> that was just me <laughs> well luckily i still work at uh, microsoft so I, I don't have that problem i just get more annoyed i get uh, they get annoyed emails going look at all the stuff you're using are you really using all that <laughs>
0: right <laughs> yes yes i yeah, am sorry. matter of fact yes <laughs>
1: do you see at some point Microsoft will actually start distributing like demo apps and things in container form?
2: So it's interesting because today containers are a server technology mm-hmm. you know, there really isn't a UI stack with it. Right. And that's an interesting conundrum that I think you'll see us start to deal with more and more because, you know, I mean, you and me, the three of us kind of grew up through the whole client realm of technologies, Right, and all the problems therein. Exactly. I mean, we had ClickOnce. We had a number of different attempts to try to solve it, and Mm -hmm. ClickOnce became Silverlight, and we never Mm -hmm. quite got a non-admin Silverlight scenario working. So we always have... These kind of problems, and to just take a a tangent on uh, an answer on that, you know, one of the things that we see is the the bio industry is we have these researchers that they run uh, these data analyses for genealogy or otherwise, and they're running their processing in a container locally because they're not looking for UI. They feed it some parameters and it goes off and does some processing and it spits it right out, and they can get updated. Mm -hmm. You know the formulas and so forth that other people are writing and that I can't even think of the term. So I, I think that there's an interesting thing for us to to do there because I think most of the demos that we do have some interaction. I mean, sure, we can put some ASP.NET sites out. We can do SharePoint and, yep. and other technologies uh, with that. But it is the client yeah. side stuff. The client side stuff is where it becomes really interesting. Yeah. Well,
1: mm-hmm. you think about all the ways we've tried to encapsulate apps from each other. You know, just to keep right. things safe. We've tried a lot of different techniques. Containers is a kind of an interesting twist on that. Well, didn't
0: they do something recently? Windows S, like a, a secure version of Windows that is essentially a, a sandbox? What's that all about? Well, I'd have to defer to <laughs> Yeah.
1: <I> mean, <laughs> do you know about that, Richard? Some are saying it's like a it's like a, the Chrome OS version of Windows. It's or you can even see it's yeah. like the RT version of Windows back again where everything only comes off the store.
0: Right, right. And you can enable it. Uh, and you can turn it on. I guess it's only available on a particular Microsoft surface computer, but yeah
1: it's a it's a particular laptop that comes with s yeah. and includes a license for Pro. So if you find you're missing an important application, you can flip to pro and you can and you right. can flip back.
0: but it's kind of nice to be able to be in and out of that situation i I can't wait for the day when everything is just virtualized and and fast. yeah i I don't know it's an interesting question
2: and there is some stuff we're looking at there i think there's some how many times can we reboot the ecosystem so i think there's a question of how can we do it in a in a non-disruptive all positive kind of way and there's a lot of focus on there's a lot of customers are running windows 32-bit apps winforms or otherwise well they work right if it and i still believe it ain't broke don't fix it yeah no kidding Um, right and the things they might have to fix might be the workflows and how they do updates to it or patch it or whatever. So I think stay tuned in that space. I mean, in the, the demos, yeah, of course. It would be great to be able to, because it's, it's so easy to spin up and we could spin up SQL in a container sure. near instantly. I mean, how much of a pain the... Pain is to install SQL sometimes
1: Well and we, and we do have that whole Desktop bridge so you could take An old app and just put the UWP Wrapping around it.
2: There's some cool stuff I mean AppV I think was doing some interesting Stuff. I would say stay tuned in the Client space um, but if you've Got a, a demo that is all server Side APIs or Some functionality of some Sort absolutely spin up a container Get it going and, and you, you can start poking at it really quick And easy I think that, you know, one of the interesting things that we've, and I think of just the changes that people have to deal with, with containers is, you know, thing of today where people are, have workloads that are deployed, existing or otherwise. Mm-hmm. Of course, we have to do the constant patching of machines. Yeah. Right. You know, some virus that comes through some foreign country that's trying to take over until we send them some Bitcoins, right? There's there's always going to be something that you need to patch the OS, And today, when you're running workloads out on VMs or otherwise, you know, you patch the OS, but you have no idea what workloads are running on those machines, much less if those workloads are going to continue to work. Mm -hmm. So you're just faced with this choice. Well, of course I have to patch machine because it has to be secure. And we have cases on either side where a company got patched and their app went down because it, it wasn't that it was vulnerable to a virus. It's just some behavior change. And now that app had to stop. So, somebody had to make a choice. Am I secure or functional? Right. And, and if I'm not up, what's the point? Exactly. So, with containers, well, there's a couple of things that happen. First of all, the OS is in the container. So, now there's a good and bad. You know, I can now take an update sure. to the OS, patch my container, and then test it before I deploy it. Yep. So, develop... Same
0: code in production. Exactly.
2: But that comes with little responsibility, too, because now, not only do I need to build build and test my images before I deploy them when the code changes, but three months after that development team has gone on to another project, I'm still getting updates to the OS or updates to the framework, whether it be .NET, Linux, you know, Node, Java, whatever. So, there's a new... Paradigm happening, which is good and bad in the sense that when an OS update comes in, and this is some work that we're doing in the Azure Container Registry, we will give an update that says, "Hey, this base image, you know, the Docker file that you've submitted, the base image is, you know, Windows Server, Nano, Linux, .NET, ASP.NET, and that image was updated. So you can okay. now rebuild your container." Mm-hmm. rerun the tests, which, of course, we all have tests, right? Of course. Um, <laughs> of course. We'll come back to that one, too. And then you can deploy your app after you've rebuilt and retested. And now you know that not only are you secure, but your apps will actually continue to run. And if the tests yeah. fail, well, you can get a choice. And this is some stuff that we're trying to work through. Right? Do, do we know what the base image update was? If we have some idea of, is it a critical vulnerability? Because if we know it's a critical vulnerability and the test failed, we can send out a different notification to whoever is responsible that says, hey, the test failed. Is the test bad? Is the code have a problem? Right. And based on the criticality of that base update, you can decide how fast you want to react. You might decide, ooh, the test that failed is not a critical test. But that update is critical, so I am going to roll it out and lose possibly lose some functionality in my app. But I know my deployment is successful. Or the inverse, the update was some random thing. Somebody changed the logo. It was you know no big deal. They you know optimized a build layer so it's smaller. But the test failed. Was a critical feature of the site, so I'm not going to deploy that update. I'll still get the notification. I'll deal with it on Monday mm-hmm. when you come back from vacation, whatever.
0: Right. It changes changes the game your your options are different
2: and you have a much yeah you have your options are different you have a much better visibility into what yeah. uh, what is being deployed and how um, and how it's being maintained and so those are the kind of things that we're seeing that are some changes in the workflows that people may not actually be thinking about well when you think about it when when the OS changes like that like normally the
1: test pipeline only runs when devs check in new code. Mm-hmm. But yeah. now a change in the Docker config file, that's new code. And the tests all have to run, even though the quote unquote code hasn't been changed. Right. I just yeah. think that's interesting. It's interesting to have ops ping dev and say, hey, we did a security update. We've, we have a security <laughs> update yeah. and the app's going to break if we deploy this. Can you take a look like you're going to be pushing? Yep. New, you're really changing the work item push direction here. That's funny.
2: Yeah, and so those are the kind of things like uh, in the Azure Container Registry that we're going to be doing, like with webhooks, to know when updates uh, are happening to images or base images, and you know, and you know, we're, we're looking at auto build scenarios so that we can automatically build and test. But that's other things that we're looking at in the you know the .NET team, for instance, um, or even in our workflows for auto build is what what does constitute a test in the Docker world. Um, is it a unit test that just runs in the container, or is it a functional test that where you spin up your, your containers that are built and run some tests against those, either pre, pre-deploy or after deploy, right? There's lots of different deployment strategies that are coming out. You know, there's a, there's a lot of greatness and there's a lot of change that is empowering, but it, it does – you kind of have to look at it going – uh okay, kind of like that dog twisting head thing like yeah,
1: huh? yeah. which what, <laughs> <say? Yeah. laughs> huh? um, what about um, the different um, cluster controllers, so the Kubernetes, Docker Swarm, Mesosphere, dcos I mean I, I, could, I see the container registry and Azure container service supports them all, but is there do you, do you have any criteria by which you try and pick one from the other?
2: Yeah you know, it, it is it's kind of like betting on the horses sometimes. It is a very evolving area. You know, Docker, you know, the, the I refer to them as the ones that took VB to containers, right? They just made a system that was already out there super right. easy to use. And right. they certainly yeah. have the name and the awareness, and that's where everybody goes first. And they've done a really good job with Docker data center and their enterprise edition. And, and some of the stuff they've done with the registry as well, where they have a full secured pipeline back and forth where, you know, you have full traceability. Mm-hmm. That said, Kubernetes has been making some major you know, inroads in the industry on where there's just you've got a lot of people collaborating. You have a huge community. We've got a huge investment. You know, in uh, Kubernetes as well. Brendan Burns was one of the original designers, uh, innovators for Kubernetes. Has joined right. us in Azure and building the mm. you know an Azure Container Service and focusing on Kubernetes. We recently acquired Deus Uh, who was also building tools and technologies for all the orchestrators and realized the only way for them to be successful is to focus, and they focused on Kubernetes. Uh, So they were building things like Draft and uh, Helm, open stack technologies to really help that Kubernetes ecosystem. So I I think that there's a lot of great work happening there. DCOS has done really well. I I think we're seeing them more in a niche data processing, big data kind of workloads. Right. And then you have other places where, you know, Service Fabric, which was focused on microservices for a long time, is now saying, look, we've seen the workload shift to containers. So they're now supporting containers as a deployment paradigm as well. Uh, In fact, in uh, build of 2017, Microsoft build uh, 2017, we, you know, put out some stuff around doing container deployments with service fabric. And so there's some interesting places Mm -hmm. that I think we'll see this evolve over time, as people choose, and they have to kind of choose what it is that makes the most sense for them.
0: That's very cool. Well, we really appreciate what you guys are doing to push the envelope. And uh, especially for us Windows developers, glad that, we're a part of the ecosystem and not left behind. It's <laughs> really blazing trails, quite frankly.
2: Yeah, I will be excited to see what Windows does with running Linux containers as well, because we might be able to invert the model a bit, mm. where you know, even when you're yeah. running Linux containers, you're still running a Windows substrate to uh, to host those, and you get the benefits of yeah. both. So it is a pretty exciting time to, to see all these changes and, and how practical they really are. This isn't just some fad uh, that has come right. and gone
0: not academic well Steve thanks the time has flown by but thank you very much it's been great
2: oh thank you for having me it's great seeing you guys yeah I'd love to I'd love to hear from people if they're looking at containers and have some questions and you know hit me up on Twitter or my blog and I'd love to find out more about what you guys are doing and and how we could help you with our tooling and hear new scenarios it's always fun hearing what people are doing for sure I I think you need to come on a little more often than every nine years
0: (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) absolutely right, we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by POP Studios Now go write some code. See you next time.
2: Got transman of van by the MSC as summer the
0: type is hard